Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. Alright, alright, alright. So this morning we're going to be talking about the rapture. And that would be sweet if it took place while we were talking about the rapture. Wouldn't it be? That would be sweet. Right now. Yeah. I'm sure he's waiting for a... He's not waiting for a certain keyword. That's for sure. Okay. It's likely that someone somewhere on earth would be talking about it at the moment. Oh, I'm sure. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the rapture this morning. So um, I'm excited about this. This is one of those things that um, uh, a lot of people know a little bit about, like enough just to be dangerous. But it's pretty interesting, all the different uh, areas of this, uh, that the Bible talks about with the rapture. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. Um, and likely we'll probably hit into this next week as well because I don't think we're going to get finished with everything. And uh, there's actually more. I have a page three. Um, but I didn't print that out for you guys because I don't think we're going to get there. And then after that, we're going to talk a little bit about the last days, the Antichrist, just kind of in a nutshell. It's going to be a big nutshell of the Antichrist and the last days and the tribulation and all that. And then we're going to end our series talking about prayer. So, um, But this one is a pretty interesting one to me. It's something that I've always been very fascinated about. And it's one of those things that the world thinks that we're super crazy because we believe this. So it should be fun to get into this this morning. All right, so to kick this off, um, we are going to start off with point numero uno, a basic understanding of the rapture. So I wanted to start off with just a premise of where we're going to start and then talk about uh, what that means and explain that from the scriptures. And so when we say the rapture, there's a couple different things we could be talking about. But generally, when people say the rapture, this is what we're talking about. So prior to the seven-year tribulation, which we've already talked about in weeks past, you've got the 70th week of Daniel, 70-week prophecy. That's that last seven-year period um, of that 70-week prophecy. Jesus Christ comes to take every born-again believer with him to heaven. He descends from heaven to the atmosphere of the earth, calls every born-again believer, deceased and alive, by name, with a voice that sounds like a trumpet, gives each a glorified body like his own, and ushers them home into the presence of God in heaven. And so this is what we believe. There's a lot of people that believe that a rapture takes place, but it doesn't take place before the seven-year tribulation. Um, and that's because basically they don't believe that Revelation is literal. They believe that Revelation is just a figurative book. You can't really know what it's talking about. And like the Roman Catholic Church, they would do that. And so they may not even believe in a rapture whatsoever. But we believe that the rapture is going to take place prior to the tribulation. Okay, so let's define this a little bit, and we'll talk a little bit about it. All right, so let's define the rapture. So according to Webster's 1828-1913, which, by the way, is a great, great resource. If you ever come across something in the Bible where you're like, this is a weird word, because they pop up every now and again, words that we just don't use that much anymore, I use this. So I just search for it online and just plug that word in there, and uh, you can find some different definitions. And so here you've got a seizing by violence. Rapture means a seizing by violence, a hurrying along to transport with excitement. And so that's what that term means because you won't find rapture in the Bible. And that's our second point here. So the term rapture never occurs in the Bible, but we use it similar to how you don't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but yet we know that God is three and we just use that term. But what you find out is that there's three different phrases that God uses. And the first one is caught up. The second one is come up hither. And the third one you find is that God took or that he translated so I want to talk about those real quick. So let's go ahead and divide these up a little bit. So 2 Corinthians, everyone turn to 2 Corinthians 12, and then I'll get a couple readers. 1 Thessalonians 4, 
Noah. Uh, Revelation 12, 5. Jack. Uh, Kent, go ahead and take um, Revelation... Actually, go ahead and take Proverbs 25, 7. And then someone do a Revelation. Sam, you can take Revelation eleven twelve, And then, uh, let's see, Hebrews 11, 5. You got that one. Okay. All right, so everyone go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As we're turning there, how many of you have ever talked about this with someone? The rapture. Okay, we've got a few. All right. How many of you have a hard time talking about it with someone? Kind of, sort of? Okay. Because it can be something that's a little bit tricky to talk about because um, you're like, well, yeah, this is kind of what I believe. And then trying to find the passage where you would support that. And then some people, you go to that passage and they're like, oh, that's not what it says. It means this. And so it can be a very common uh, thing to really, really struggle with. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 12, take a look at verse uno. Sorry, I'm in Spanish mode. It is not expedient for me to doubtless to glory. This is Paul speaking. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So setting the context, we know this man that he's speaking about is himself. And he says that he was caught up to the third heaven. Okay, So that's one instance that you can see. That's a kind of form of a rapture taking place where he himself was caught up to the third heaven. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Okay, that's our main passage that we're going to look at here in a little bit. But there it says very specifically that we are caught up with the Lord in the air. All right? And then Revelation 12, 5. Listen to that one. Okay, now when you study out Revelation chapter 12, you find out that this woman is the nation of Israel, and she gives birth to a man-child, that's Jesus, and that he was caught up, caught up. So when did he get caught up? Think about it. What, what, what? When he went flying away in the clouds. I, mean, I don't know if it actually says that, like Jesus went flying, like he just dove off a cliff and just flew into the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where at? Where in your Bible? Come on, you know this. Yep, absolutely. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. So he talks with his disciples. You got 1.8. We use that verse all the time. And then after he said those things, then he ascended up into the clouds. And Revelation 12.5 says that he was caught up. Caught up. So same thing. So you have a bodily ascension from this earth up into heaven. That's pretty much what he's talking about. All right, and then you've got this phrase, come up hither. Go to Revelation 4. Revelation 4. Revelation 4. All right, and did I give this one to somebody to read? You did? I gave you a proper. That's right. That's right. I switched my mind. Okay, so in Revelation 4, so when you look at this book and when you study it out, you've got the introduction in chapter 1, and you've got John, who's caught up to see Jesus face to face, and then you have chapter 2 and 3, 
and then you have four. What happens in chapters two and three in Revelation? Yeah, the church age. Good. Yes, letters of the church age. So basically everything that happened from 90 AD (coughs) all the way forward to current day and even days in the future. So everything that has been documented throughout this period of history, you can take Revelation 2 and 3 and lay it over history, and you'll be able to see that God gave everyone a history of the entire church, which is really, really cool. So you have all that happening, and then chapter 3 ends with what letter? Laodicea, which is the time that we're in now, and that's just prior to the rapture. And then you have the opening of chapter 4. So at the end of chapter 3, beginning of chapter 4, you have him finishing this letter. He says, to him that overcometh, we just talked about this not that long ago, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. After this, so after Laodicea is over, and behold, a door, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And it begins to describe the throne of God. It talks about the sea of glass, talks about the beast and the 24 elders all around the throne. And then chapter 5 talks about how there's millions upon millions of people surrounding the throne of God singing in praises. So this is exactly what happens. When the rapture occurs, bam, we're out. We're now in the presence of God, and we're around his throne. So chapter 4, verse 1, describes the events of the rapture of the church with a come up hither. Okay? Got that so far? Okay. All right. And then listen to Revelation eleven twelve. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Okay. There you go. So there's another phrase, come up hither, where people are taken from earth up into heaven. We'll talk about that one a little bit later. Now, this one's really kind of cool. So listen as Kent reads Proverbs 25, 7. For better it is that it be said unto thee, come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. Did you get that one? That gives me a little tingles. <laughs> listen to it. Think about it from the context of the rapture. Read it again, Kent. For better it is that it be said unto thee, come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. Okay. Now, the reason why this gives me the goosebumps is because of this. (coughs) There are many people today that call themselves Christians, that say they love God, that they follow the prince. And when the rapture occurs, they're going to be taken out of here because they're legit. And there are some that won't. And that, in Proverbs 25, is almost like a prophecy of what's going to occur. Better for you to be called and say, come up hither, than for you to be put lower in the presence of the prince. Because that's exactly what's going to happen. There's a lot of people that say they're Christians that they're not. They're not. And when the rapture occurs, they're out of here. And everybody else that says that they are, are going to be put down. Because they're lower in the presence of the prince. Now just think about that for a second. Where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? What side of Proverbs 25 are you going to be on? Among those that are out of here? Or those that are going to be left behind? It's very important. Very, very important that we are right about this kind of stuff in our life. All right. And then lastly, the term rapture occurs in the, in the uh, context of where it says God took him or that God translated him. Go to Genesis chapter 5. 
Genesis chapter 5. Back in Genesis, God gives us a guy who is a picture of the church and the rapture of the church. This is pretty sweet. Genesis chapter 5. All right, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. This doesn't happen any, anywhere else in the Old Testament. But the only thing that's close to this would be who in the Old Testament? Elijah. That's it. That's it. Outside of that, I mean, you can probably make an argument about Moses. <coughs> and there's some pretty interesting things about Moses and the body of Moses, which is quite fascinating. But Moses died. Like Moses died and then God took his body and did some other stuff. There's only two people in the Old Testament that they were bodily taken out of here. Enoch and Elijah. Now, what's interesting about this guy, Enoch, it says that he lived 65 years and he begat Methuselah. Anybody know what Methuselah's name means? Judgment is coming. Okay, that's pretty significant. You name your kid, ah, uh, judgment's coming. Now, notice what it says after that. And Enoch walked with God when? Okay, do you guys know English? Can you read letters on a page? <laughs> come on, with me. Come on, come on, come on. When? After he begat who? Methuselah. Okay, all right, come on. Stay with me. This can be fascinating. I love this stuff. If you're bored by this, you should probably just leave right now. I'm not kidding. This is, this is incredible. Some of this stuff in the Bible is absolutely incredible. And if this is something that bores you to tears, then there's something wrong with your heart, and there's something else that you need to get right with God. And maybe you're among those that are going to be left behind. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. God gave him a son. God did something in his life where he ended up naming his kid Judgment is Coming. So he, he had a face-to-face -face moment with God, and he realized that God, Judgment is Coming. I'm going to name my boy that, so that way after I'm gone, the name of my son is going to resonate into the future for everyone to know his name. That's huge. And it says that he began to walk with God after he begat Methuselah. And then it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then what happened after all these things occurred? The flood. A catastrophic event that wiped the earth clean. This is not a coincidence. This is exactly what's going to happen. You have the rapture of the church, and then you have massive worldwide tribulation that the earth has never seen before. So here is this guy, Enoch, just tucked away back here in Genesis chapter 5, the death chapter. And God gives us a little insight into there. And listen to Hebrews 11.5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. There it is. He pleased God. There came a moment in his life where he repented from who he was and everything. And he, he put his faith and trust in God. And God was so pleased in him that before judgment came, he took him. And specifically, it says in there, what, what word? In Hebrews 11. Not took him, but what is it? 
Translated. Translated. What does it mean to translate something? Yes. Does it mean the same thing? Yes, but it looks different. Okay, I'm in Spanish mode this morning. Okay? Especially those of you going to Mexico. This begins your Spanish training. <laughs> Hello. And then if we translate this, what does it turn into? Hola. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, same word, but not the same word. Both mean hello, but they look different and they sound different. Get it? (laughs) When you're raptured out of here, God changes you and he translates you from your earthly body into your glorified body. Enoch, the only dude in the scripture where this has ever happened, except for the church. So this is very important. He kind of tucks that in there. And his testimony was that he pleased God. What more could you do to please God than to repent from who you are as a sinner, condemned for hell, and to put your faith and trust in God? What more could you do to make God happy? Because that's what he wants. 2 Peter 3, 9. What is it? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has a heart for every human being. He wants everyone to walk with him and to please him and to to do what's right in his eyes, not because it's just the right thing to do or that he somehow just, he just wants that to be. No, it's for your benefit. That's why sometimes I I don't want you guys to ever get like weary about us being on you and, and wanting you guys to walk with God because that's what God wants. It's for your benefit. Never in a million years when we talk to you and we 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 might rebuke you or we might pull you aside or we might say some things that are hard to you. Like we don't do that just because, oh, this is what I want to be known for. Or it's check that off my list because I'm a good Christian because I rebuke people in their sin. No, not at all. The reason why we talk to you guys and we care so much about you is because that's what God wants. It's always for your benefit. Always. Sin and destruction and corruption is never for your benefit. Just tell me one time, just one time that you have chosen to sin and it's been for your benefit. And I'm not saying that just to prove a point. I'm just, tell me, I'm being honest. I'm being completely honest with you. If you can give me one time where you've chosen to sin and chosen to do something to destroy your testimony and it has been for your benefit, then tell me right now. Has there been one time? There has never been one time in my life where that has been for my benefit. But I can tell you every single time that I've chosen to do what is right and righteous and godly, it's always been for my benefit. Every single time. Every time. Why are we so stupid? Why? It doesn't make any sense. God wants you to be translated. Not just in the rapture, but now. Now. Your testimony ought to be when he comes back that he is pleased with you and that you walked with him. That's what it should be. Not because it's the right thing to do. No, it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. Okay, so God took Enoch, he translated him. All right, so it's so much more than this. Please, it is so much more than the rapture. So much more. And the other side of this too is that when Christ comes back, I don't want to be found being an idiot and doing things that are dumb and that break his heart. Can you imagine? 
Have you ever done something stupid and someone that you care about walked in on you when you were doing something stupid? I mean, how much of an idiot did you feel like? I've been in that situation. When Christ comes back, I don't want him finding me doing things that are completely displeasing to him and just are going to break his heart. Do you want to find that happen to you? I mean, do you want that to happen to you? I don't. And so we got to live like we believe this because if you live like you believe this, it will change your life. It will change everything about you. It will change all the decisions that you make. It will change your entire future about where you're going to go, what you're going to do, who you're going to be with, everything. It will change everything. So that's why this matters. And I really hope that you understand that this morning. It's more than just this fun doctrinal understanding of the rapture. Like this stuff should actually matter in your life. God should matter in your life. It really should. It really should. All right, so let's talk about a timeline of events. This is really kind of cool. All right, timeline of events concerning the rapture of the church. Go to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. All right, so this is our main passage that uh, we go to to talk about the rapture. And we'll just t- pick it up in verse 13. Okay, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. So this is two Christians, and he's talking about them being asleep, so those that are deceased. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And he throws on verse 18 because that's something else the rapture should do in our life. It should cause us to have a form of comfort. That no matter what you're going through in this life, no matter how difficult, no matter how crazy, no matter how hard it might be, that you can always have a form of comfort knowing that Christ is going to come back for you. Always. Okay, so the first thing here is that the Lord Jesus Christ descends from heaven to the atmosphere of the earth in the clouds with a shout, or also called a voice, as a trumpet. That's what it says in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So Jesus Christ goes from the third heaven, descends down, goes to the atmosphere of the earth where he's in the clouds, like kind of even behind the clouds, and then he has a voice. And he utters that voice, and that's the first thing to occur. Now, the trump of God, letter B, the trump of God, the voice of God shall sound, born again believers out by name. And at the same time, the lost will hear thunder. This is quite fascinating. Take a look at uh, John, John 12. Hold your spot in 1 Thessalonians 4 and go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. God bless you. All right. Okay. 
All right, so Jesus is now praying and he says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, there it is, a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. And others said, An angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. So God's voice utters from heaven, and there's two different opinions. One is that it thundered. The other one said that an angel spoke to him. Okay, so you see that there? Now, interestingly, go back to chapter 10. Chapter 10. So think about that, and then go back to chapter 10. All right, Jesus said, chapter 10, verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now listen to this. This is very important. To him, the shepherd, to him, the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. Okay, right there, this is the rapture. Because we know that there is a door in heaven, Revelation 4.1, right? There's a door in heaven. There's a porter, so there is an angel that stands at that door. Jesus is in heaven right now, and he goes to that door. The porter opens the door for Jesus. He goes out. And then he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. See that there? It's right there. I love it. Verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then, he's, then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So right there, right in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 7, you have a picture of the rapture of the church. Jesus walks through the door, he calls the sheep by name, and he leads them out. All right, so you got that one. Go over to Job 37. Job 37. Job 37. Thirty-seven. All right, speaking about God's voice, we already saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 that it was like a trumpet. We saw in John 12 that God's voice sounded like a thunder and the voice of an angel. We know that Jesus is going to utter people's names when he comes and gets them from John 10. Now look at Job 37. Verse 1, at this also my heart trembled and is moved out of his place. Hear attentively the noise of his voice, God's voice, and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He directeth it under the whole heaven and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. After it a voice roareth, he thundereth with the voice of his excellency, and he will not stay them when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. 
great things doth he which we cannot comprehend. So there God's voice also sounds like thunder, like thunder. All right, so that's the whole point there. So the trump of God, Jesus, when he descends and he utters people by name, if you're born again and you're out of here at that point in time, he will call you out by name. He will call you out by name. And think about it for a second. In John 11, when Jesus resurrected who in that chapter? Lazarus, okay? Something interesting, just to think about, Pastor Thomas mentioned this in times past and it's made me think. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Do you know why he said, Lazarus, come forth? Yeah, he's in a graveyard. And so if Jesus said, come forth, everyone would be like, and they would all come out of their graves. Because that's what Jesus does. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. And so it's very specific. So when Jesus Christ descends from heaven to the clouds and he calls you out, he calls you out by name on purpose, on purpose. So while you hear your name and you're out of here, everyone else is going to hear thunder. And they're just going to explain. It's just, oh, that's a weird thunderstorm. Everybody like disappeared. Must be aliens. There's a whole lot of things are going to, I can get into more of that, but I won't. All right. All right. So that happens. So Jesus Christ descends. His voice sounds like a trumpet. He calls everyone out by name. Letter C. Those that sleep in Christ shall rise first with their glorified body. Hold your spot. You've got your spot back in 1 Thessalonians 4. And someone else go to 1 Corinthians 15, 55. No. 15, 55. All right. 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That term using it prevent just means that we're not going to go before them. We're not going to go before them. And it says that in verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So those that have passed away in Christ since Christ died on the cross they're going to be the first ones to rise from the dead first. Now, that's crazy. Because think about this. This is why I love the Bible. And if you just take a moment to sit and you think about it, how many people have been born again that have died and are now buried since Jesus Christ died and resurrected? Seventy? Ten? Ten people? I think it's a little bit more than 10 people. I mean, it could be in the millions, could be in the billions very easily. Because, I mean, think about how many people have been alive that have been born since that time. A lot. Quite a bit. Okay. So in this moment, and I, this is how I picture it. Like, let's say something happens where the rapture is going to occur. And I don't know the time delay. Like, God doesn't tell us what the time delay is going to be. But he says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Can you imagine... Like, I, I, I think about this sometimes. Can you imagine doing a funeral or being at a funeral for someone who is born again and they're now dead, okay? And you go through the entire funeral service and now you go to the graveside service and you're at the graveside service and you got the casket that's there, whole family's around and then all of a sudden the Lord descends and all of a sudden there's this massive thunder and then you start to hear your name and all of a sudden I mean out of the graves because that's I mean that's what's going to happen people coming up out of the graves and you see that 
and then they go, and then you go after. I mean, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen. I mean, this may sound weird to you, but I believe this. I was talking with Pastor Tom when I was doing uh, Sean Moore's funeral. Sean Moore is in heaven. He, is, he was born again. He died, and he's in the presence of the Lord. Now, he said part of the pastor's role in the funeral is that when the funeral is over, you stand by the head of the casket until the funeral home directors and people come in, and they close the casket, and they secure it. And then you go by the head of the casket all the way to the hearse till it's in, and then you ride with the funeral director and the hearse to the graveside. When you come out of the graveside, you stand by the head of the casket, and then you walk with the head of the casket all the way over until they place it, and you remain by the head of the casket. And then when everyone leaves the funeral, you are the last person that's there at the head of the casket. And part of the reason is, is because you are the last person to see that coffin closed, and the next time that coffin is opened, it's when Jesus Christ comes back to take that body. That's what we believe because that's what the Bible says. Can you imagine, can you imagine the millions, billions of people that are going to rise from the dead? I mean, not just graves, but like that died in shipwrecks out of the ocean, that somehow their bodies were cremated by fire and God just takes the dust particles wherever they are on the earth and puts them back together and then takes them to heaven. I mean... I just You just start thinking about some of this stuff. It's crazy. You start thinking about guys like Wycliffe. You know what happened to Wycliffe? He was burned after he was dead. So he died. They wanted to burn him at the stake, but they hated him so badly for all the work that he had done with God's word. The Roman Catholic Church, they hated him. I mean, they hated him. They hated him with a vengeance. When he died, they buried him. They hated him so much. They went back. They dug up his bones and they burned his bones. They hated him so much. God will take Wycliffe and he will assemble him all back together and then he will go up. He will. So this is not just some fairy tale type thing. This isn't like, oh, I just believe in the rapture. Like this is massive. This is massive. Something's going to have to take place because the Bible says that the Antichrist is going to deceive the entire world. Who could deny the truth of the scriptures when a, with, with a worldwide event like the rapture take place? The Antichrist is going to come up with some pretty fancy excuses that's going to blind the entire world. The entire world. And I've got my own opinions on them, and I do believe that partially it comes with the whole nonsense of global warming. I do. I think that there's been, I mean, for, for years upon years upon years, there have been so many scientists that says that, you know, humanity, we got to stop having babies. We should probably have controlled genocide because we're just we're, take, we're, we're eating up too many resources from this planet. We need to we need to get rid of some of the population. And how many people believe in a higher power, something that's outside of space? And and all of a sudden you have I mean crazy UFO people. You have these these crazy angelic beings that make themselves look like humans that descend from the sky, and they actually say something like, "Yep, yeah, we've been watching you guys for your, the entire human history, and we've been observing you, and we've noticed that you're destroying your planet, and we decided to take a certain number of people out of here because you know they're just destroying the planet. It's for your benefit, and and by the way, you are here." Because we put you here. You're actually a, a genetic experiment from our race. And we, we populated this planet, I mean, millions upon millions of years ago. And we've been watching you. I mean, just watch some science fiction stuff. There's a lot, there's a lot of science fiction stuff where these seeds have been planted over the past 100 years into our culture. And I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. You might call me nuts. That's fine. I just believe the Bible.
All right. So those asleep in Christ shall rise first in their glorified bodies. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Noah, you had that one. Yeah. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Okay. So when they rise from the grave, they're going to have their glorified bodies, and that is absolutely going to be true. The grave is not going to have any power over them any longer. Okay, then it says, those in Christ that are alive and remain shall be changed instantly into their glorified bodies. We already said that in verse um, 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to see this one. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians fifteen. All right. So Paul here in this chapter, there's a lot of stuff in this chapter. I just want to show you a few of these verses in here. Um, but he shows the whole reasoning behind why we get a different body when you rise from the grave. So um, let's see here. Okay, verse 35. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may, cha- it may chance of wheat or some other grain. All he's saying there is, is that in order for something to live, it has to die first. Okay? So, if you go to the store, for example and you buy tomato seeds, can you pull it out of the package and it be a fresh tomato that then you now can eat? What do you have to do with it first? You have to plant it. That seed becomes a tomato plant in, in which you have many, many tomatoes. Now, you have this new tomato. Now, in order to get the seeds out of that tomato, what does the tomato have to do? It has to die. In order to get the seed out, then you put that into the ground, and then it becomes something else. That's all he's saying. It's very simple. Seeds are not the thing. It's what creates the thing. So if you have a seed of an apple, it will create an apple tree. If you have a seed of corn, it will create corn stalk. It just keep going on and on and on. The body that you have now is not the body that's going to be. When it dies, that seed is planted... And when God resurrects it, it's going to be completely different. That's the illustration that he's giving. Okay? All right. And then he continues on. But God hath given it a body as it hath pleased him to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. So now he explains this. But there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. And there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. What does celestial mean? Celestial. Kind of angelic, more heavenly. Heavenly, okay? Up in space. What is terrestrial? Earth. Earthly. If you take your body right now and catapult it into space, will you die? Yes. Yes, that is because you have a terrestrial body. You were made to live on this planet. Now, if you had a celestial body, could you live on this earth and out in space? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So two totally different things. So he says there are two different types of bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, 
For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. That's your flesh. That's your terrestrial body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So that's how he explains this. Okay. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, last Adam, Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. So it's always natural first and then the spiritual. It always is that way. That's God's pattern. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the, is, uh, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we, all, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So in order for you to spend eternity with God, you cannot have your fleshly body. That's his point. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot go to heaven in your fleshly body. Behold, here's our verse. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. There it is. For the trumpet shall sound, 1 Thessalonians 4, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. There's the dead in Christ first. And we, those that are alive and remain, shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the dang, the saying, the dang, <laughs> the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, in this moment, in the twinkling of an eye, last trump, dead in Christ shall rise first, but we shall be changed. Here, boom, boom, translated. This goes back to Enoch. We were this way, earthy, earthly, and we shall be changed into Spanish. No, I'm kidding. We shall be changed into a celestial body. We shall be able to enter into the presence of God for all eternity. That's what he's talking about here. And that's why it says that when this happens, it's going to be one of the greatest days on the earth. It's going to be one of the greatest days. Have you ever been to a funeral where you've lost someone that you've cared about deeply? That the pain was just so hard, so tough. I mean, if you've ever been to something like that, it is terrible. Every funeral, every death, it is, it is bad. It is terrible. It is unnatural. It wasn't ever supposed to be that way. I think about my cousin who died of cancer. I think about Sean Moore, the funeral that I just did. It was so hard. It was so hard. I can't believe I'm not going to see him anymore for now. It was hard. He was my friend. I think about his daughter, Jada, how she doesn't have a dad now. She hasn't even graduated high school, and now she doesn't have a dad at all in her life. I think about, there's so many people that I think about that have gone through, I mean, horrendous. I think about, I think about families in our church that have lost their kids because they committed suicide. And I think about the pain that they endure on a daily basis because their kids are gone, and they can't have them back. I think about parents early on, one of my first exposures to this, there was a young couple in an old church that I went to 
that they had their baby and then they had some complications. Their baby died when it was like only seven days old. Can you imagine going through an entire nine-month pregnancy looking so forward to a child after struggling with even having children and then she's born? She's born and then you have a complication and it's gone in a matter of 10 days. 10 days. Can you imagine doing a funeral for a 10-day-old baby and the misery and the tears that they go through? I'm telling you, when the rapture takes place, And God takes all those things and he takes those fleshly bodies and he turns them into celestial bodies and they come up out of the grave. It is like, death, where's your victory? Grave, where's your sting? Where is it? It's gone. That thing that was so painful has now become the best day on this earth that you've ever experienced. Death sucks. It hurts. But when that day happens, when that day comes, it is going to be the greatest day outside of the day that you got saved that you've ever been able to experience the greatest day because that thing that is the plague of all humanity is now done and dead and over that's why we believe in the rapture and that's why god does it and that's what the bible says all right so after that happens and you got letter e the whole body of christ shall meet the lord in the air and shall ever be with the lord as it says in first thessalonians 4 17. All right, we're going to end it there. We're going to end it there. We'll talk about the judgment seat of Christ next week, the crowns. We'll talk about the three phases of the rapture, and we'll talk about the differences between the rapture and the second coming. So this should be something that matters a whole lot to you, because no matter what happens in this life, we always have hope, and this is the hope that we have. And I'm telling you, this is one of the reasons why I love God so much is that he puts things like this in the scriptures for us that help us to endure a lot of the craziness that we go through on a daily basis in our life. All right, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word and the things that you've given us. And I pray, God, that we would um, just change our perspective, that we would see things from your view and to be excited about our future. And as we think about our future, that we would consider the here and now, and that we would make appropriate decisions because we can't wait for the day that we get to see you face to face and we don't want to be ashamed. So I pray, God, that if there's anything going on right now in our lives that we need to get right with you, that we would do it and then we wouldn't hesitate and that we would honestly just look forward to that day that we see you face to face, that it would be one of the best days that we would ever experience. We know that it's going to be because we know that from your perspective, you can't wait for that day. I can just picture you seated at the right hand of God, just waiting, just waiting to go through that door and to call us out by name in order to be with us. And I pray, God, we'd have the same heart attitude towards you. Thank you so much for today. I pray we'd use it wisely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.